amen. You don't know how badly I hate to tell you this, but please be seated. Mark. Good morning. Didn't know you was getting to hear from me again today. Just for a brief moment, I want to introduce a video that the finance team, that the finance team uh, would like to uh, everyone to view this morning. Uh, the speaker on the video is Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren. He's a Baptist evangelical pastor from um, Saddleback Church, which he helped found in uh, Lake Florist, Lake Forest, California. This is the sixth largest mega church in the United States. Rick Warren is a uh, gifted author and speaker. And on this video, he gives, in my opinion, my personal opinion, the best explanation, biblical explanation of tithing that I've ever heard. I encourage you to listen closely. Thank you. Hi, let me talk to you about your own personal spiritual growth here for just a minute. The Bible tells us that we grow by developing good habits. The Bible calls them spiritual disciplines. And throughout history, they've often been called devotional practices. But really what they are are simple habits. Learning the habit of prayer will help you grow. Learning the habit of Bible study will help you grow. Learning the habit of fellowship in a small group and attending church will help you grow. Fasting is a habit that can help you grow spiritually. And so is solitude, and so is service. There are many, many spiritual habits. One of the ones that most people misunderstand is the habit of tithing. Let me talk to you about that one for just a minute. It's not the most important habit. It just is one of the habits that's important for our spiritual growth. Because if Jesus is Lord of my life, he's going to be Lord of my time, he's going to be Lord of my relationships, and he's going to be Lord of my money. If Jesus isn't Lord of my money, then he's not really my Lord at all. Now, have you ever wondered why tithing is so important to God? I mean, God's the creator of the universe. He doesn't need my money, obviously. He doesn't. The, the, the truth is, tithing is not for God's benefit. Tithing is for my benefit. It's for your benefit. It's to teach me to trust God in many ways. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 14, 23, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. You see, if God is first in my time and in my money and my relationship, then he's really first. But if I say God's number one in my life, but I don't put him first in my time or my money, my relationships, then he's not really number one. Tithing is actually a statement of three things. It is a statement of gratitude. God, I wouldn't have anything without you. It's a statement of priority. God, I want to prove that you're first in my life, so I'm giving you the first part of my money on the first day of every week. And third, it's a statement of faith. God, I believe you'll keep your promise that if I put you first, you'll take care of all my needs. Now, let me review this. Tithing is a statement about my past, my present, and my future. It says, first, I'm grateful for all that you've given to me in the past, so I'm giving some of it back to you. You're number one in my life right now. It's a statement of priority, and so I put you first in my life right now. And it's also a statement of faith into the future, saying, God, I believe that as I give back to you a portion that you've given to me, because it all belongs to God, that you're going to take care of my needs in the future. Now, let me clear up a, a common misunderstanding about tithing. 
Uh, some people think tithing just means giving a few bucks or whatever loose change you've got and spontaneously what I've got in my pocket at the moment. No, that's not tithing. The word tithe uh, is not a gift that you designate for a specific product, a project. Like when you give to the United Way, that's not a tithe. Uh, when you give to help uh, your sister who needs the, a car, that's not a tithe. That's an offering or that's charity. The tithe is an act of worship. It is 10% of my money that I give back to God for this purpose of an act of worship to God. It's undesignated. Now, the word tithe literally means 10%. Tithe means 10%. So if I give 2% of my income, that's not a tithe. If I give 8%, that's not a tithe. A tithe is 10%. Now, why did God say 10%? I don't know. When I get to heaven, I'll ask him. He could have said, give 30% and keep 70. He could have said, give 90 and keep 10. Uh, but in Malachi 3.10, God says this, and this is one of the most important promises in the Bible. By the way, did you know there are more promises in the Bible about giving than anything else. Why? Because God is a giver, and God is generous, and God wants us to learn to be generous, and I can't be like God until I learn to be generous. Every time I give, I become more like Jesus. Every time I give, I break the grip of materialism in my life, and every time I give, my heart grows bigger. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 in the Bible, we have this wonderful promise. It says this, bring my whole tithe to the storehouse. Now, what is a storehouse? It's, it's where you worship. It's the temple. He says, bring to my storehouse a full tenth of what you earn. And then God says this, test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out all the blessings you need. Did you know this is the only place in the entire Bible where God says, I dare you. This is the only place in the entire Bible where God says, you can test me to see if God exists. He says, test me in tithing. God wants to bless your life. In fact, he already has, because everything you have is a gift from God. You say, wait a minute, I work hard for my money. Sure you do, but who gave you the ability to work hard? Who gave you your mind? Who gave you your hands? Who gave you your life? Who gave you the breath you have? Who gave you the opportunities? Deuteronomy 8.18 says, it's God who gives you the ability to produce wealth and the power to become rich. It all starts with God, and it all comes from God. So God says, here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and put me to the test. I dare you. Here's what I want you to do. Bring me your tithe. That means 10%. So if I make 10 bucks, $1 comes back to God. If I make 100 bucks, 10 bucks goes back to God. And he says, I will pour out a blessing on your life. But you know what the rest of that verse says? It says, if I refuse to tithe, it says, I'm robbing God. I'm using God's money to pay my bills. You know, in my own life, I had to learn this early on in life, and I've been a tither since a young man. In fact, every year we raised our tithe, but I've been a, a, a tither since a young man because I said, if anybody is going to, I'm going to be in debt to anybody, I'm, it's not going to be God. I'm going to, God gets paid first. I may not pay other bills, but God gets paid first because he's first in my life. Now, the Bible also encourages us to give beyond the tithe, but we don't do that out of guilt and we don't do it out of pressure. We do it as an expression of worship. In fact, let me just say this. If you ever feel pressured to give, don't. 
You're hearing your pastor say this. If you ever feel pressured to give, don't, because you don't get any credit for it. Because God doesn't need your money. What he wants is your heart. And if you don't give cheerfully, you don't give willingly, you don't give voluntarily, you don't give joyfully, you miss the point. The Bible says where your treasure is, your heart will be. So let me just give you a suggestion. If you have a hard time remembering to honor God with the first part of your money, and the Bible says we're to do it on the first day of every week, we give God the first part of our money on the first day of every week. Why? To say, God, you're really number one in my life. By the way, what is the first day of the week? Sunday. So you bring it as an act of worship at the house of worship. Now, if you have a hard time remembering that, and I'm a pretty good forgetter, I have ADD, and I can't always remember to bring my tithe to church, I would encourage you to do what I do, online giving. Did you know that in our church, over half of our people give online? And now it's easier to do this because you can set it automatically uh, up right here on our website at saddleback.com. All you need to do is just click on the link that says giving and follow the simple instructions to set it up. And you only have to set it up one time, and then it's just automatic. How easy is that? Uh, as I said, it's now 50, 60% of the people in our church use online giving. This is what Kay and I do. Why, oh, it's so easy. If you're not faithfully tithing on a regular basis, you don't know what you're missing. You are missing some of the blessings that God hasn't planned for your life. So don't put it off any longer. Learn this habit just like you learn the habit of prayer and Bible reading and going to worship and going to fellowship and enjoying the, the company of other believers and ministering. Learn this habit. Take God at his word and take this important step in your spiritual growth. I hope you'll try online giving. God bless you. Amen. Appreciate Brother Warren and his words for us today. Let's keep that to heart. Remember where it goes, who it goes to. Let's stand together as we sing again this morning together.
remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Our reading comes from Exodus chapter 26, and I'm going to begin with verse 16 today. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us, you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there, and he encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. And Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley, and they discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, The water is ours. So he named the place Esek, because they disputed with him. And then he dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitnah. And he moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. And he named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in this land. May God bless the reading of his word. Be seated. Well, this morning I just read you a passage of scripture from the, about the son of Abraham, Isaac, who we talked about last week, about how Abraham had taken that little boy up on the mountain to sacrifice him. But God stopped him in that sacrifice. And so last week as we studied about that, we, we saw the faith of Abraham and how Abraham was a faithful individual. But now we get to the story of Isaac. Now Isaac has become a grown man. And one of the things I hope you'll do, just keep your Bible open to that chapter 26. Because in that chapter in the verses that I just read to you, there's several things that took place before the story that I just shared with you. Now, one of the things we're going to find is that Isaac is having a real problem dealing with people. Y'all never have a problem dealing with people, do you? There's not a person in this room that has had a problem dealing with another person probably in your life. Now, that's a joke. If y'all didn't get it, that was a joke. We all have problems dealing with people in our life. Conflict is a real issue. And one of the things that we see with Isaac is that he had conflicts that he had to deal with. And you know, one of the things that I would tell you as your pastor is I have had to deal with a lot of conflicts in my life. A lot. I wish I didn't. Some of those conflicts were not so good. Some of them were resolved. And I learned a lot from conflict. And when we look at this story of Isaac, one of the things that we see when we look in Genesis chapter 1, we see that there was a famine in the land. If you look over there uh, in chapter 26, verse 1, it says there was a famine in the, land, in the land, the same kind of famine that was going on previous, like was happening in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Now, if you don't know anything about Philistines, Philistines are bad people. But he went to the Philistines and he started to build a relationship with them. And so in Gerar, he comes to the Philistines and they develop this relationship. But then you look over in verse 6 of chapter 26 and you'll see this. So Isaac stayed in Gerar and when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister. 
Now, here's the story about this. He was afraid of those guys. He was afraid of those Philistines. And the Bible tells us that Isaac's wife was a knockout. She was beautiful. In fact, she was pleasable to look upon. And so when Isaac went into this enemy territory, he thought to himself, you know, uh, she's really good looking, and, and I'm really just going to tell everybody she's my sister so that they won't take my wife. Does that sound familiar? You know, Abraham had done that before. So Isaac is really just following the leadership of his dad. And you know, that's scary, uh, folks, that our kids grow up to be like us sometimes. You know, sometimes I wonder... Uh, if that's always good, but sometimes it's really good, and sometimes it's not so good. And we see that happening right here with Isaac. He followed his own father's leadership, and he said, she, she's not my wife, she's my sister. Now, the Bible goes on to tell us, when you go on over into verse 8 of that same chapter, that this, that the Abimelech king who was over the Philistines, one day he looked down out of his window, and he saw that Isaac was really being sweet with his sister. That just didn't look normal. And so the king said, he came down from his place of looking at that through his window, and he came down and he said to Isaac in verse 9, so Abimelech summoned Isaac and he said, she is really your wife. You know, he didn't even ask a question. He could tell by the way he was acting down there. And I don't know, the Bible doesn't give us full details of what was going on, but the king said, man, she's your wife. Why have you told us what you have told us about this woman, that she's your sister? And then he goes into saying, you know, I was really afraid of you guys. I was afraid you would just kill me and you'd take her as uh, your wife. So I just told you she was my sister. And the king became disgusted with that. And he said to him, and said, listen, man, just get away from me for right now. You, you have really made a mess. This could have been very bad if one of our guys would have taken your wife and had relationships with her. You just lied straight out to us. Now, you, you think that that's a little bit gracious from a Philistine leader. But he was upset about that. And the Bible goes on and it tells us in verse 12 that Isaac... One of the things that happened, even when Isaac did these stupid things, of doing these idiotic things, and he was afraid of the conflicts that he was going to have in that territory with these strong Philistine people, the Bible tells us that in verse 12 that Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year he reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. And he had so many flocks and herds and, and servants that the Philistines envied him. And so all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped them up, filling them with earth. So these Philistines were really getting tired of this guy by the way he was acting. And so... They just decided, we'll just fill the wells up. Maybe we'll make life hard on him. The wells that Abraham had dug up. You see, the conflict and the issues that are taking place here are not unusual for many of us today. When we look at this idea of conflict and we think about people that we had to deal with, things you had to deal with this week. Some of you are raising children right now. You're trying to figure out, how, how can I help with these issues that are going on? in my children's life. Some of you at work this week, some of the conflicts and the things that you've dealt with this past week, you're wondering, what can we do? And some of you who have grown children who are going their own path, 
and they're really not going in the direction you'd hope they would go in, you're seeing all kinds of conflicts and issues that are taking place in their life. Well, this is nothing new. Conflict and tensions are nothing new. But one of the things that we see about Isaac is that Isaac was somewhat of a chicken. He did not like dealing with conflict. And most of us do not like dealing with conflict. And the Bible tells us that Isaac was willing to lie about his wife to avoid conflict. He was willing to lie about himself to avoid conflict. He was willing just not to tell the truth about things so that he would not have to deal with conflict. But the scripture that I read to you as I stood up here, as, we, as I started this message with you today, starts over there. If you look in verses 16, it says that the uh, Abimelech said to Isaac, move away, get out, out away from us. And so Isaac packs up everything and he starts out and he's trying to find his own place. But conflict doesn't stop. Because he goes out and he starts digging up a well, probably where he remembered his father Abraham had dug a well, and he starts digging that well up. And you remember the Philistines had already filled those wells up because they did not want to bless Abraham and his people, so they had already filled them up. So Abraham takes his servants and they go out and they start digging those wells up. And hey, they hit water. But then the slaves come to Isaac, and they say, look, get out of here. These are our waters. And you know what Isaac does? Isaac packs everything up, and he moves from that place. And the Bible tells us, as we look at this passage of Scripture, when you look at verse 22, he calls the place Esek, which means literally the place of quarreling. You see, that, that was conflict at work right there. He just didn't want to quarrel with anybody. He, he didn't want to argue about anything. So he packs it up and he moves to another place and he goes to this other location and he starts digging the ground up there and he hits water again. And it's not but just a few hours or a few days. Those servants come and say, look, you've got to move. These are our waters. And the Bible says that Abraham packed it up and he moved with all this conflict going on, all this trouble in his life, and he named that particular place Sitna, which means the place of hostility. So now Abraham has dealt with a place of conflict in his life, a place of quarreling in his life, and now he has come to a place of hostility in his life. Boy, does this sound familiar with the world that we're living in today. The quarrels that are going on. The hostility that is going on. The hatred that is going on. And a lot of us are just ready to pack our animals up and move to the next place that we can find. And hopefully that we can find a place of peace and rest where we can get away from this mess because none of us want to deal with conflict. And Isaac was of such a nature that he packed it up not only once, not only twice, but now he packs it up and he goes to find another place. But let me tell you what I believe about conflict and what I believe about quarreling and what I believe about issues like this. That if we will trust the Lord and we will believe in Him, that even in the most intense times in our life when we're dealing with conflict and we're dealing with issues, we're going to experience a Rehoboth in our life. Look at that verse 22 and watch this. 
So Isaac, he moved on from there, and he dug another well. Third well he's dug now. He dug another well, and no one quarreled over this one. And this is what we're told here. He named it Rehoboth, which means, now the Lord has given us room. But there's a better way of understanding that particular phrase. Rehoboth basically means open space. God's given me an open space now. Well, Isaac had to deal with hostility. Isaac had to deal with quarreling. And then when he follows the Lord and the Lord takes him to the right place, the Bible tells us that Isaac finally found a place of open space. Let me ask y'all something. Do y'all crave that? Do do y'all really want to experience life in such a way that, that when you wake up in the morning, ah, it just feels like open space. It's peaceful. Everything's calm. Everything's good. Everything is doing well. We see Isaac had to go through a few issues in his life before he ever found that open space. And I truly do believe that this Bible gives us some guidelines that I want to share with you. Three principles that I think we learn from this. And I'm going to go through these pretty quickly, but I want you to look at them and I want you to think about this and I want you to think about the story of Isaac and I want you to think about what has gone on in his life and how he had to deal with conflict, how he found this place he was doing very well and people pushed him away and so he had to deal with hostility he had to deal with all kinds of issues in his life but he finally found that place that God gave him and it was this open space type of place in his life let me tell you something about conflict conflict can be bad and there's three things I want you to think about about conflict conflict can be bad when our faith in God is weak Isaac had weak faith. You say, but the Bible tells us, and if you look at the Bible and you see the Scriptures over in Genesis chapter 24, verse 36, the Bible tells us that Isaac was given everything that his father had. In other words, that this guy didn't even really have to work. That the Lord had just given him everything that had belonged to, to Abraham. And then over in Genesis chapter 25, verse 5, it says this, Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. And so here is a guy, a young guy, who is absolutely 100% filthy rich. But yet, he's miserable. Why is that? You think, you know, I've got to tell you all, I have, in my journey in life, I have pastored other congregations other than this one, and I'm not going to call names, and I'm not going to tell you which church it, it was in, but I have been in congregations where I have had multi-millionaires sitting in that congregation. And there's one in particular that I remember over the years, it was a miserable man. And I thought to myself, you know, I had, I, one day I asked a guy, one of the deacons in my church, I said, what do you figure he's worth? And he said to me, I start about $50 million. <laughs> About My knees went weak. I thought, come on, man, are you serious? And then I think about how miserable I saw him. And then I look here at Isaac, and I think about this idea of Isaac 
that when he is a boy, when he is a young man, not only did, did, was he blessed by having great parents, but his dad left him, the Bible tells him, everything that Abraham ever owned. And not only that, the scripture that I just shared with you in chapter 26, the Bible tells us that Isaac, that when, he's, when he went into business, his business was phenomenal. And it was so phenomenal that the Philistines said, you've got to get away from us. We can't, we can't compete with you. We can't contend with you. So he went on. But, but one of the things that we see about conflict and how he was having to deal with conflict in his life is it revealed to us that his faith in God was not very strong, even though he had all these things. You know, let me ask you something. How is your faith in God today? Do, do you trust Him? Do you believe in Him? Do you rely on Him? Are you really dependent on Him, or is it all about you and what you're capable of doing? One of the things we know that conflict will evolve and it will turn nasty and it will not be good in your life if your faith in God is weak. second thing you need to know about this story is this. Our lack of faith causes us to make really bad decisions in our life. If we don't have faith in God, not only it don't matter how much money you've got, if you don't have faith in God, you're going to be like Isaac. And you're going to do crazy, and for the lack of a better word, really stupid things in your life. Like giving your wife away because you're a coward, because you don't trust in God enough. And that's exactly what Isaac did. That when he came into that Philistine area, and he saw all these strong soldiers around, and he was looking at his beautiful wife, he thought, I'll just tell him that she's my sister. And then the Bible tells us that he was found out. Let me tell you something about lying. You will be found out. You can't, you know, one thing about lying, it, it does not hide itself for very long. And so the Bible tells us that not only was Isaac a person who was weak in his faith, but his lack of faith caused him to make really, really bad decisions. What kind of decisions are you trying to make today? Where are you going in life? What, what is life all about? What are you trying to do? How are you trying to handle it? Are you trying to do it on your own? Are you trying to do it under your power, under your strength? Or do you really trust God to lead the way? You see, that's all that Isaac had to do was to trust the Lord. He did not have to give his wife away as a sister. He didn't have to be a chicken and walk away from that first land that he found. But the fear was in him and the conflict that arose scared him to such a point that he moved from one place to the next to the next and then given his wife away. So we know this, that conflict can be bad when our faith is weak and we lack, our faith causes us to make bad decisions. But there's a third thing you need to know about this story is this. Conflict can be bad when our distrust in God causes us to become a coward. Now I want you to think about this with me for a minute. Isaac was a coward. And why was he a coward? Why was he, why was he afraid? Why was he fearful? It's because he wasn't believing in God. He wasn't trusting in the Lord. He wasn't believing in that God that saved him on that mountainside when his father Abraham had pulled that knife out and was ready to take his life. He... He, he wasn't paying attention to that. 
He wasn't paying attention to how God had been blessing him through his entire life. Not only was he filthy rich, but God was just blessing him in every direction that he went. He still was not trusting God. You know, I, I hear people, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll make comments and they'll talk about trusting the Lord and, you know, being faithful to the Lord. If they could just get to this certain point in their life, they'd, they'd, they'd go to church more, or they'd study their Bible. Y'all folks, that doesn't work. That's kind of like what Rick Warren was talking about to us today. You know, this all belongs to God in the first place. And if we'll trust Him with it, and we'll believe in Him, and we'll follow Him, we're going to see great things. Our distrust in God causes us to become cowards. But here's some good word that I want to leave with you today. I want to leave you with some positive words. And, and you know, several years ago, about two years ago, I, I wrote the book, called The Character of Conflict. And in that book, I, I wrote several stories, or, or I tapped into several stories from the Old Testament. And one of the things that I discovered about conflict is every single one of us are going to have to deal with it. We're all going to have to deal with it. If you're married, you're going to have to deal with it. Uh, you know, I tell you what, these people that tell me they've been married for 20 or 30 years and they've never had one argument, somebody is not active in that marriage. I'm just going to tell you right now. Somebody's not talking. But even in the best of marriages, you're going to have disputes, you're going to have conflicts, you're going to have issues. Raising those kids, my goodness, if folks would have told us the complexity of raising teenagers in the world that we're living in, uh, you know, it's really a challenge for all of us. But when we talk about this idea of conflict, here are a few thoughts that I want you to think about, and then I want to share one passage of Scripture with you from Jesus and I want you to walk out of this place with the words of Christ on your mind. Isaac was a guy who didn't deal well with conflict. And this is what you need to know about it. Conflict can be productive when we understand that it can help us grow and prosper. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Even though conflict is not always bad, it must be watched carefully. In unresolved tensions... If unresolved tensions increase and alliances are formed, expanding issues grow, other people are drawn in and massive problems begin to grow when conflict evolves. This is when the lines are drawn and the wagons are circled and the hills dig deep into the ground to win the battle. If a conflict is left unresolved, it can turn into an acute chronic condition. This type of situation can become destructive in our lives. Ignoring conflict and hoping it will go away or that it will work itself out is a classical trap for all of us because all of us are going to have to deal with it. But how are we going to deal with it? Left unresolved, the dynamics of conflict can harden into an unhealthy condition. It may become invisible and it may go underground. Backbiting and decreased communication are symptoms of this chronic condition in the world. Friction decreases productivity for any group of people. As conflict festers, relationships break down, morality and morals decay away. And one of the most significant challenges for any Christian is to recognize a conflict in its birthing stage. 
Not, not to put it off, but to recognize it in its birthing state. Take hold of the situation with patience and understand that it need not evolve into an explosive negative situation. I want to tell you all something that I had to, to do as a pastor some time ago. I had to deal with conflict a lot as a pastor. And I had to deal with people in the church who were in conflict with one another. And, and when conflicts would come up, some people would say, oh, let's just let it go. Let's just let it lay under the table. We just won't say anything about it. I'm going to tell you something that the Lord convicted me about is that when conflict happens, you go straight to it and you start addressing it. That's the way a marriage will make it. That's one of the covenants that Shelley and I made about our marriage with one another. We don't go to bed mad at each other. In fact, I can tell you, and that's been, we, we figured this thing out. Y'all, we've been together a good long time. A lot of decades we've been together now. But when we were younger, one of the things that we made a covenant to do, we will not lay our head down on this bed and go to sleep at night before this thing gets resolved. And so I had a good wife that taught me about how to resolve conflict. And I'll tell you something else too. That has to be done not only in us individually, but also with us corporately. And the good thing about it is our Lord Jesus teaches us how to deal with conflict. And I don't know what you're going through in life, and I don't know what it's like at work, and I don't know what what you're dealing with with your children. I don't know what you're dealing with with your grandchildren or what you're dealing with with your spouse. But here's some words that I want you to hear from Jesus and walk out of here with these words in in your mind. And this is found in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said these words. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which means worthless one, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering up your gift... Now, here's where Jesus gives us our advice. Therefore, if you are offering up your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. You know, when we think about the things that are going on in this world today. How are you going to deal with conflict? You know, you know what? I want to thank, I got to thank y'all for bringing that baby in here today. Because as I'm standing up here and I'm doing this message, you know, that is a gift from God. When you hear the peacefulness of a baby... When you hear the joy, you know, when I, when I see little Marin, Shelly sends me, Shelly goes and helps Elizabeth out just about every week. And every once in a while I'll get a little video where little Marin is sent to me. And I've got to tell you that some of the greatest joys in my life is to look at a young soul laughing and smiling. She doesn't know conflict yet. She doesn't know it yet. That one right there doesn't know conflict yet. But folks, there are a bunch of you in this place right now who know what conflict and tensions are all about. 
we hear these words, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my peace and learn of me. Where have you heard those words? Those come to us from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I don't know what you've dealt with this week, and I don't know what kind of conflicts you've been through. But listen to the Lord and hear the voices of babies as they speak to our souls. And let's walk out of this place today with a peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And by the way, just let me remind you about this story here. Do not, as you leave this place, let Esau or quarrels consume you. Do not let sitna or hostility consume you. But be like Isaac and name the place Rehoboth, an open space where I find the peace of God. Oh, man. Doesn't that sound good, y'all? Let's leave here. Lord, we know that Isaac dealt with a lot of issues in his life, a lot of conflict. But Lord, as we leave this place today, I pray that every one of us will call on You to give us the peace, the, the place, the openness that Isaac finally found. Lord, don't let us be victims of this world and the conflict that it brings. But give us Your peace today, I pray. And that can be found when we give ourselves to You through Your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. And all the people of God said, Amen.